to Weekend Warriors, the foreign affairs podcast that asks, what else is happening in the world? I'm Essie Cup. In a bitter election that shared some parallels with America's 2020 landscape, Benjamin Netanyahu this week appears to have won a record fifth term as Israeli prime minister. It was a dramatic finish. Netanyahu's right-wing Likud party was neck and neck with the centrist Blue and White Party, led by Netanyahu's former chief of staff. With 97 percent of the vote counted, both sides were slated to win 35 seats in Israel's Knesset. But a right-wing Likud coalition has secured a majority of seats, outnumbering a center-left bloc 65 to 55. That means that in July, Netanyahu will become Israel's longest-serving leader, surpassing David Ben-Gurion, the country's founder. President Trump called Netanyahu from Air Force One to congratulate him on the victory on Wednesday. Netanyahu thanked Trump for his, quote, tremendous support of Israel, including his recognition of Jerusalem and the Golan, end quote, as well as his actions against Iran. That last part, he's referring to the home stretch of the campaign when Trump made two major pronouncements that were seen as pretty clear attempts to help swing the election in Netanyahu's favor. First, Trump recognized Israeli sovereignty in the Golan Heights. And on the eve of the election, Trump designated Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps as a terrorist organization. That's the first time the United States has branded a foreign government entity a terrorist group. It was a specific request of Netanyahu's. So the big question is, did the Trump bump help secure Netanyahu's victory? And what does this mean for Israel, for the Palestinians and that whole, you know, peace process thing that Trump's son-in-law has been working on? Joining me to discuss is CNN's Oren Lieberman from Jerusalem. Oren, first, um, welcome. Thanks for joining me. I'm real excited to, to get your thoughts from, from on the ground there. You've been covering this election. What's the mood like there right now? A pleasure to be with you, Essie. Look, this is in many ways a divided country. There are many who are staunchly opposed to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, and we're hoping he would be ousted, essentially, in this election. But this is also a country that leans right wing. So there are even more people who are thrilled and relieved, even after a very difficult campaign, to see him reelected and to see him reelected quite soundly. As you pointed out, the election itself was quite close between him and his rival, Benny Gantz. But when it comes to forming the coalition, Netanyahu has the clear advantage and not only that, because he has a, the biggest party and such a bigger party than any of his, his coalition allies, Netanyahu's Likud party has more influence over this government than it did even just a few days ago in the last government. So our, our colleague here at CNN, Stephen Collinson, called the, the, the Trump effect um, at sort of the last hour one of the most undisguised U.S. interventions in an election abroad of recent times. From here, it looks like Trump was a major influence. But from there, what can you tell us about about uh, Trump's role in affecting that election? It's impossible to quantify how many votes he won for Netanyahu, but it was clear to every Israeli that President Donald Trump preferred and wanted Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to remain in office. And, and let's remember here, Trump is even more popular in Israel, far more popular here than he is in the United States. And everything he says carries a tremendous amount of weight here and makes headlines. So all of the political gifts that, Netany that uh, Trump gave Netanyahu first, and this is going back a couple of years now, but with the recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and the moving of the embassy 
And then in, in the closing days and weeks of the election, recognition of Israeli sovereignty in the Golan Heights, uh, designating Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps as a terrorist organization, which Netanyahu took some credit for. On top of that, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo visiting the Western Wall with Netanyahu, which was unprecedented. All of that made it clear to Israelis that it was Trump that wanted Netanyahu, and it certainly gave him a boost. You can say definitively, it certainly didn't hurt, and I think you can say just as definitively, it was a big help for Netanyahu. So to be clear and to be fair, uh, we should say Trump wasn't the only U.S. political figure to inject himself into the Israeli election. 2020 Democratic hopeful Beto O'Rourke on Sunday uh, branded Netanyahu a racist and said he's made a peace process impossible. How did all of that play out with Israeli voters or or did it? I think if you were to ask most Israeli voters who is Beto O'Rourke, most of them would stare at you uh, as if you had no idea what <laughs> you were talking about. It, the, really, the only politician who continually makes headlines here is Trump. How many headlines does he make and, and how much is each word that he says, how much do, do those words generate headlines? I'll give you an example. At the Republican Jewish Coalition, Trump said something along the lines of, how's the election in Israel going? I hear they're both good guys. That little phrase, I hear they're both good guys, or something similar to that, I'm paraphrasing here, that made headlines here that, oh my God, was Trump considering working with Gantz. That's how influential Trump is here. That's how he makes headlines. In the end, it was obvious Trump wanted Netanyahu to win. I think the only other guy who could make any sort of headlines like that would be if former President Barack Obama suddenly weighed in on this. That because of Netanyahu's open rivalry with Obama at this point. But Obama didn't. So it was Trump making the headlines and it was Trump favoring Netanyahu here. Fascinating. Well, let's talk about one of the ways um, which which may have helped Netanyahu win. Uh, He pledged to annex West Bank settlements if he were reelected. Do you think that makes this... Israeli government more right-wing than ever? Well, that that was a last-second move just a couple of days before the elections by Netanyahu. And we saw this in 2015 as well. On the eve of the election, Netanyahu said there will be no Palestinian state under him. With that sharp turn to the right, he took votes away from other right-wing parties and guaranteed his own Likud victory. This is viewed much the same way. But let's look at the exact effect it had on the coalition here and what the makeup of his coalition is. His coalition obviously includes his Likud party, which will be by far the biggest. He then has, as the next two biggest parties, the ultra-Orthodox parties, which don't really have political demands. They have religious demands. They don't really have a position on the conflict, on a two-state solution, on how to proceed in the peace process. So as long as Netanyahu doesn't cross their religious red lines, they're not expected to make any demands on him outside of that. Then there are three smaller right-wing parties. One of those is the Finance Minister's Party. They have four or five seats, it looks like. Their demands are all in terms of economics and finance and how the economy runs. So they don't really put any demands on Netanyahu for annexation or anything like that. There's uh, the former defense minister also has his right-wing party, but he is right-wing and secular. His party platform is that he supports a regional solution, which may well include a two-state solution. So there's only one party here that's demanding annexation, and it looks to be the smallest coalition, uh, the smallest party in Netanyahu's coalition. Crucially, that party or that element, had eight seats in Netanyahu's last coalition. Now they're down to four or five. And that's the only real group that will push for annexation. So when you're looking at the makeup of this coalition, first, it's Netanyahu who's calling the shots. And let's have no doubt about that. But it is more religious because the ultra-Orthodox have more influence than they had. You could argue it is ever so slightly less right-wing because of its element, because that far-right element has fewer votes here and less influence. 
If it turns out to be more right-wing, it is because Netanyahu has decided that's the direction he wants to go because of how much influence and how much power he has here. So do you think he, he, he made that last second move, uh, his pledge to annex West Bank settlements? Do you think he intends to follow through or do you think that was sort of just a campaign strategy? I think that answer largely depends on Trump and Trump's peace plan. I don't think Netanyahu will do anything unilaterally here. Um, and let's talk about that promise for a second. It was not only to annex the settlement blocks, which are areas of built-up Jewish settlements in the West Bank, but generally right along the Green Line and right bordering Israel. He also pledged to annex the isolated settlements, some of which are deep in the West Bank. The settlement blocks in any peace plan put forward in, in, in recent decades have been part of Israel via land swaps. So that part, even if he did it unilaterally, he probably would certainly have the cover of the Trump administration and the peace plan in all likelihood, includes the settlement blocks ending up in Israel regardless. The question of annexing the isolated settlements is a much more difficult one, and something like that would effectively end or or put a severe blow in any chance of trying to achieve a two-state solution if you really did try to annex the isolated settlements that are outside of the blocks, some of which are deep in the West Bank, which the international community considers as part of a Palestinian state. I mean, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is obviously a, a long, a very intractable one. It's been complex. It's befuddled leaders for, for decades. So what about Jared Kushner? One of his biggest jobs in this administration has been to tackle this nearly impossible peace brokerage. Um, Trump says that Netanyahu's win actually improves the chances for peace. What do you, what do you make of that? Uh, if, let's put it this way. If I were betting on this, I know where I'd be betting. You know, the difference between the ch- next to nothing and, and nothing is pretty slim here. When you look at the Palestinian side, they've already rejected anything the U.S. is going to put on the table. And I don't see any situation in which that changes unless this peace plan is heavily slanted towards the Palestinians, which no one and I mean no one expects it to be. But on the Israeli side, Netanyahu has elements within his only Likud party. And again, that far right party, even if it's a small party. One of the goals they said in joining the coalition was to make sure that Trump's peace plan goes absolutely nowhere. It's difficult for this to get traction on the Palestinian side, if not impossible. It's just as difficult on the Israeli side. Still, the Trump administration is pushing forward. The question is, how does Netanyahu play it politically? Because if he immediately rejects the peace plan, he risks losing Trump. And that is where it'll be up to him, his politics, his relationship with Donald Trump to figure out how to essentially make sure this doesn't threaten his own coalition while appearing to consider it. Uh, I want to read a New York Times quote that I think to most listeners could be either about Trump or Netanyahu. Despite the legal challenges he faces and the controversies he has courted, he has a diehard base that will vote for him unquestioningly. Now, that quote was referring to corruption indictments that have been looming over Netanyahu. But do you get the sense that he, he learned some lessons from Trump's slash-and-burn approach to domestic politics and sort of just shoring up the base, getting past and through these investigations and these clouds of, of scrutiny. Do you think Netanyahu learned from Trump, or maybe it's more symbiotic than that? I would suggest it may even be the other way around. I think Netanyahu ran a very similar campaign, if not quite as divisive in 2015. And I think Trump may have learned some lessons from that. Did Netanyahu watch the U.S. campaign of Donald Trump? Yes, absolutely. And did he pick up a few things? He probably did. The response to the Mueller investigation from Trump is almost exactly the same as the response to Netanyahu's corruption investigations. A media-fueled witch hunt driven by the left 
Netanyahu has been working to delegitimize it since, since the investigation itself was announced some two or three years ago. There are very similar ways in how these two handle themselves, but I will point out one key difference. It's easy to look at this and think they're the exact same person and in the way they act. But Trump is far more impulsive and far more spontaneous, shooting from the hip in his statements, in, in his actions. Uh, Netanyahu is not. He is a very, very careful politician. Even if something looks spontaneous or impulsive, it is because it is calculated to look spontaneous and impulsive. He thinks about what he does. These are calculated moves by Netanyahu. This is his fifth election that he's been through here, and he's seen elections before that. He knows how the game in Israel works, and it is a brutal political game for any politician, and he knows how to play it well, and he knows how to play it in a very calculated fashion. Just a bookend, uh, going back to Beto O'Rourke, uh, he also said of Netanyahu that he doesn't believe he represents the true will of the Israeli people. I, you know, you know better than than me. How else can you see a fifth term other than a mandate unless, you know, unless you're talking about fraudulent elections? I think Netanyahu is at this point the true will of the Israeli people. Uh, certainly at this point, you see how the numbers he pulled in um, more than a million votes out of out of four million total votes counted. Uh, you see his, his popularity. You see his image everywhere. Um, and I'll tell you that having spoken to a lot of people who voted for Netanyahu's Likud party, there are a number of different reasons that I've heard, some of which to me were quite, quite surprising. Some people voted Likud because of Netanyahu. Some people voted Likud despite Netanyahu. They stand for the party even if they don't like its leaders. Some people voted Likud because they don't see another alternative capable of running the entire country. I even spoke with one person who said he doesn't like Netanyahu, he doesn't like Netanyahu's wife or his son who often makes headlines, but he feels it has to be Netanyahu in charge of the country as long as Trump is in charge of the U.S. The point of this is that even if people don't like him, they found a reason to vote for him. And that is, by definition, I would think, the will of the people here. Gantz, Gantz the rival here, gave it a good fight. He put up a monster number in pulling in a million votes himself. But in terms of a seasoned politician who knows how the game works, who knows how to lead a country and how to be prime minister, if you look at the last decade in Israeli politics, the only answer is Netanyahu. Warren Lieberman, thanks so much, uh, both for your reporting and, and your perspective on this. It was really invaluable. Thanks for joining uh, Weekend Warriors. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm Essie Cup. That does it for this episode of Weekend Warriors. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.